Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible thanks to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, oh, and your other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. You're very good at those reminders, and I appreciate that very much. Every for a professional show. time, every time. <laughs> On today's show, Amy and I will recognize Rare Disease Day. What's it mean? Why does it matter? And you'll hear Amy discuss this with a bleeding disorders uh, colleague and friend, Brendan Hayes, in today's interview segment. We'll also talk about finding joy with Josh Bragg in today's Let's Talk Mental Health segment made possible by Sanofi. And of course, you'll get to hear Amy and I connect with each other and discuss the things that matter most to us. Right, Amy? As Amy already knows, I'm coming in, I'm coming in uh, not hot, not cold, but maybe a little bit sideways. And and we'll get into that in just a few minutes. (laughs) Hey, Bloodstream (laughs) listeners, buckle up. Buckle up for Patrick's sidewaysness, if you will. And thank you always (laughs) for listening. And remember, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes can also be listened to and shared directly from the Bloodstream Media Facebook page, which is also awesome. And as always... If you've got suggestions for topics or guests, or if you have questions for Patrick and myself, ping us on social media or email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. Listeners, I also want to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right, Takeda. They've got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. I'm for that. And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time for the folks in the back, that's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. I had to get my voice in there. I never thanked Takeda, and it just felt right to be I'm glad thank, you did. You know. We're, we're finding saying. joy. We're expressing gratitude. <laughs> it's it's Rare Disease Day. I mean, it's day. a big day. <laughs> it is a big day. Well, um, so, you know, let's kind of start there. Like, Rare Disease Day. Uh, well, you know, before we start there, sorry, stop. Amy, I got to tell you why I'm sideways. I'm in Orlando, Florida. Don't know if you've heard of it. It's far away from where you are. Um, But I've been here this week with Natalie and Vivian. Natalie's got some work-related stuff, and we decided it made sense since uh, she and Vivian hadn't spent more than just several hours apart. Vivian is still uh, on the breast milk game that, you know what, let's go as a family. I can work remote. And and her parents, my my father-in-law, my mother-in-law here, so during the day they can be with Vivian, and I'm still just working just from this lovely hotel room here at this hotel. Um, Night one without Natalie, we've been here a few days now, but last two nights ago, she was not here. And like Vivian was cut off from her supply. She's eating uh, foods, but yeah. she's used to at least every day having that like connection point with her mother. And uh, we were like, okay, let's see how it goes. Night one, super smooth. Vivian <gasps> did great. She slept through the night. The next she woke up yesterday. We had a good morning, passed her off to the, the grandparents. They did great with her. Natalie came back. Everybody's doing great. Uh, last night, <laughs> Vivian wasn't so interested in sleeping. So we spent hours and hours and hours walking around this hotel room, walking around the outside the property, making sure I wasn't getting anywhere too close to like misty water where an alligator could emerge. I don't really know how alligators work, but there are signs everywhere about alligators. So I'm I'm borderline terrified of, a, of an alligator attack. And at four in the morning, it felt like, you know what? That is what would happen next. There would just be an alligator event. <laughs> so, um, Amy, I kid you not, I I finally went to sleep at, I don't know, like eight something in the morning. Uh, really? For like a little nap, which ended uh, literally one minute before the first obligation of the day, which wasn't that long ago. So when I say I'm coming in sideways, I'm coming in sideways. This is a real like, you know, I'm not, I'm not such a new dad anymore, but this is a real like new dad kind of like morning after a rough night sort of day. That's where I'm coming oh, to you from. Oh 
my gosh. Let's segue <laughs> into finding joy. How are you finding joy this morning? <laughs> by being here with you, Amy, by sharing my truth with That's a trusted it. friend. That's and it. Just trusted leaning friend in. and colleague, well-rested, uh, childless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now my joy's coming down a little bit. I know, uh, I know, I know. Just 10% wanted to poke less a hole. joy. Oh, man. And also, I don't know, just to feather in like your cap, dear friend, to not be in your own home, to have a sleepless night not in your home, like in a hotel, that's terrible. And she just wouldn't, would she cry and wail or was she just like, yes, I'm like, bing. Well, uh, you know, a little bit of both over the course of the many hours Uh, of the overnight. She, you know, she did fine from 6 until 11. And then from 11 o'clock until 8 a.m., she was just like, I don't sleep. I don't need it. Don't believe in it. But also, we are in a hotel room. So, you know, we're at home. I may let her cry it out a little bit. She can self-soothe. And, you know, we've learned very well to kind of see the signs. Do the things. There's where I got for her grandparents next door and, they, you know, they're, they're lovely and they're here for her and they wouldn't care. But there's people all over the place. We're in a hotel. I can't right. just be, and she's six feet away from me. So it's right, not as though right. like, you know, so no one's winning if she wails. But then we're just in this room and then she developed like a complex about the room after a while. Like we would just <gasps> walk around and like she was happy nowhere. So I was like, all right, I guess we're going to like point at the go green outside. exit sign in the hall and, you know, we'll go downstairs and wave at the screens behind the bar that just, you know, it's like a casino at the at the <laughs> hotels overnight. Like everything, <laughs> full lights, full music, all the screens are on. There's no one do- around, I can tell you. I was like the security oh patrol God. last night just going around the problem. I'm looking at like how many windows have lights on right now and Oh my goodness, it was like such an event. Although I will also say oh. probably a decent workout. I got a lot of steps in and I held that however many pounds baby for literally yes. hours. So, uh, you know, my back and arms and shoulders are like, hey, dude, you worked out. You just at a strange time and in an odd Legitimately way. Legitimately that, that, That's what happened. <laughs> oh, Patrick, that is, uh, you can't get through parenthood, though, without nights like that. So I feel like, congratulations, you have Thank survived. You. Thank and, you. And um, I am honored to, you know, be a part of it one hour after. <laughs> hey, speak, <laughs> speaking of your being a part of it, um, and then we can move on from like Patrick's personal life updates. But uh, since we uh, last chatted here in the podcast, you were also a part of Vivian's first birthday. And I was reflecting, you know, we had the birthday party and we've had time, Natalie and I do a lot of reflecting and, you know, what, where were we this time last year and what was going on? And, but one of the things is I was anticipating recording with you today for the, this episode um, was just thinking about the episode that we did for Bloodstream, recounting the whole experience and like the, that, making that decision and now just yeah. having that captured and yeah. also contributing to a body of content and conversation around some of the real challenging, to put it mildly, aspects of maternal health care. And, 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 you know, we're not going to get into that whole topic right now, but that that was coming up for me just in these last couple few days where I thought I was, kind of, I was on the other side of some of the year one reflecting stuff. We've done all the looking at pictures, talking through stories. We had a party. We saw people. But then that was coming up for me too, which I've just found kind of yeah. notable as, you know, coming into today, into today's recording. Absolutely. And I don't even know if we um, recognized it on Bloodstream. It is Vivian's first birthday, like in the, you know, it was several days February ago. February 15th, and, yeah. Um, I was a bit, that was a big deal. And, you know, she's, she's a miracle baby and we're so excited that she's here and healthy and wonderful and that Natalie's here and healthy and wonderful. And what a year it's been. And... It's it's kind of incredible. I mean, it, it was um it was it was fun to be there and to see her and to see the three of you and she's wonderful. Rob and I's, you know, biggest thing is that we were so honored to be invited to her birthday party and we like texted back and forth how popular we are with babies right now. You guys have quite a baby network. We do and the only parties that we get invited to are baby parties and <laughs> we're psyched literally literally <laughs> um that yeah that's that's fair. super popular with babies to do with our <laughs> i think that has as much to do with our age as anything I, that's it's true for me too but then again i also have a baby so i guess there's a little bit of a different nuance yeah. there <laughs> yeah but like i mean i don't know we've got a, we've got a lot of babies on the docket lately rob and i and we love it <laughs> Uh, so, um, thank you friend for being here and being your yeah. wonderful self and helping me find joy in spite of coming yeah. in feeling kind of 
scrambled and overtired with, you know, burning eyes and a bit of a headache and, you know, certainly just not doing the day the way I had intended. Which, of course, I don't well, have to mention any of that. I could have just faked it and no one would have known. I know known. you could have just like, faked it, you know, but that's not what we're about style. on Bloodstream. Nah. But I do think, I mean, like lamely segueing into Finding Joy, Josh is going to talk about Finding Joy today on the Let's Talk yeah. segment, which I think is incredible. But the thing that it, this is so apropos to what you're saying because my thoughts about finding joy is I think the the like the most important time or the most meaningful time to do that is when you're feeling like you're feeling now when you're bleary-eyed and you've had a rough night. How do you show up in the world? How do you love others? How do you love yourself? Yes. How do you find peace in chronic pain? I, I feel that when I have headaches, you know, how do I not become a monster of a person? Um, yeah. But still able to like give to others and have some, you know, compassion and quietness. And I, and I feel like that is joy. Um, is finding that in the midst of suffering. And so, anyway, it just like blends all the things. So, bravo to you. You're not feeling well. And, you know, to be honest about it and to, you know, bring joy in that. I think that's really lovely. Well, thank you very much. Um, and it's a great segment today from Josh. So, stick around. That'll be coming up uh, the last segment of today's episode. It's also, I should mention, the second to last Let's Talk segment of season one of the Let's Talk segment. Correct. We will talk more about what that means next month on the show. Um, I think we haven't talked to him about this, Amy, but I think it would even be great. Maybe we could have Josh sit down with us for a few minutes for the first episode in March to kind of recap the year and yes. forecast what's to come ahead of the final segment for season one coming out in March. And then, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there and we'll tell you more about that um, yes. later. So that's at the end. Stick around. It's really good, um, as always, because Josh crushes it. Rare Disease Day, you know, Amy is going to talk more about that, I think, with Brendan here coming up in a little bit, right, Amy? So we won't go too far into depth with Rare Disease Day stuff, but I did just want to mention that, you know, Days of Awareness, I I, I don't think I have it anymore. I was going to say I still, I have this, like, double-edged, you know, feeling about them, but maybe that's changed. I used to kind of feel like, on one hand, is this really, what is this really doing? What does awareness do? Is this really important, or is, are we just, like, making ourselves feel good and nothing's happening? Uh, yeah. But over the years, especially in rare disease, and this may just be my own bias, but especially in something where literally the word rare is the is the first word in the term, there's just not a lot of public awareness. And with more awareness comes more normalization. It becomes easier for people with rare diseases to just exist in society. It puts mm -hmm. the uh, awareness raising amongst certain people in administrative positions in school districts and in policymaking mm -hmm. positions, helps them affect change in some uh, very specific procedural and policy-related ways that make a huge impact on people's lives. It is uh, inspiring to drug makers and drug developers and everyone who is involved in the immense process of drug development and treatment of patients. So I, I you know, I guess I don't have a double-edged sword kind of feeling about it anymore. I, I believe it's really important. And of course, there's ways to be more effective than than others with, you know, quote, raising awareness. But it is really important. And February 28th, Monday, last day of February, which three out of four years is the 28th, and once every four years, hey, that really rare February 29th day. Aha, there you go. That's why it's there. Um, that's always Rare Disease Day. And yes. this year, there's a, there's kind of a cool theme. If you check out, there's a, the, a website that, that um, catalogs Rare Disease Day activity and provides toolkits as Patrick clicks through all of his tabs to try to find the website, it's like rarediseasedayorg Yeah, um, way we'll too put it in the program open. notes, y'all. What a great idea. Uh, it is <laughs> rarediseasedayorg But they have all sorts of toolkits and, and stories of rare diseases and things that can inspire you or that you can use to help share out. Um, and this year's theme is Share Your Colors, which I think is just a really lovely idea. Um, you know, to, to, to share kind of goes hand in hand with that idea of finding joy. Where's the brightness? Where's the vitality? You know, where's the expression that you can come forward with in raising awareness for Rare Disease Day? So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Again, Amy, I know you and Brendan are going to talk about that a bit more here in just a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be great. And what an opportunity to share your story to some folks that might not have an idea what you deal with every single day um, as a caretaker, as a patient, or as a sibling, someone connected to someone who has a rare disease. So these awareness days are lovely. And um, however you choose to celebrate and to honor your own personal struggle is something that we 
um, commend you for here on Bloodstream. Cheers to that. Um, so then last note before we do get into the interview with Brendan, Rare Disease Day comes at the end of February, which is also the end of Black History Month. And that's not something we talked about on Bloodstream here this year. So I did just want to kind of highlight that, point it out. There are extraordinary black leaders throughout the, the hemophilia and bleeding disorders community, throughout the rare disease community. Yes. And I, I did want to just give, give one person in particular uh, in the rare disease world a shout out at the end of Black History Month. Don't know if she's listening or not. If you know her and you hear this, you can go, hey, you got a shout out. But Janie Davis, she's a patient advocate over at Agios, who I have known since I started Stop the Bleeding and Believe Limited back in 2011. Janie was one of the, uh, the original people working on Stop the Bleeding, helping Ryan and I figure out how to move it forward, how to shape it so that it's something that Takeda at the time, Baxter, could support. Um, and she was an she was an absolute all star, and I am not being at all hyperbolic in saying that without stop the bleeding, there is no believe limited, and without Janie Davis, there is no stop the bleeding. Janie continues to do awesome patient advocacy work now um, in other disease states for Agios, and she also sits on the board of directors for Entertainment to Affect Change, a nonprofit organization near and dear to my heart. So at the end of Rare Disease Day, I just wanted to give a big shout out to friend and colleague, Janie Davis. You rock. Please keep doing everything that you do to make the lives of patients and caregivers better, quite frankly and simply. Patrick, if you have a shout out, then I definitely have a shout out. And as Get I was thinking there. about it to like honor Black History Month, I'd love to shout out someone that you might hear here on Bloodstream in the next couple of months. There's some things percolating, if you will. Ooh, but um, a colleague and a member of the Sickle Cell Organization would love to shout out the work of Dr. Lakia Bailey, who is the executive director mm. of the Sickle Cell Community Consortium, who is also a doctor, who is also a sickle cell a warrior. She lives with sickle cell and to talk about finding joy in the midst Oof. of her, you know, I think the ups and downs of her health crises. She is mm. incredible and um, is such an advocate for her community, like a staunch advocate for her community. And uh, she, you might get to hear a little bit here on Bloodstream coming up. That would be cool. And so just to shout out Lakia, Dr. Bailey and her her work and her her vigor for her community, I think is very inspiring to me. Yeah, amen to that. You know what? Let's put yeah. a link in the program notes to one of the uh, appearances on Cheat Codes that she's Let's done. Do so it. if anybody would like to check her out. Yeah, patient, advocate, doctor, warrior, just all around, just impressive human being, Dr. Lakia Bailey. Great call, Amy. All right, so with that being said, let's keep the show moving. We got a lot more to get to. First up, Brendan Hayes talking with Amy about Rare Disease Day, caregiving, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's coming up right now. I'm here with Brendan Hayes, one of my favorite people of all time. Brendan, oh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here and to talk about something other than your job, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're celebrating Rare Disease Day today. And I personally wanted to have you on because I think you have such a lovely perspective. And this actually, your name like sparked a memory for me when we were at the Global Genes Conference back in the day when we all went to conferences oh, yeah. and we're surrounded by other disease groups. And you had mentioned um, what a unique perspective that you've been able to have being around other disease groups. Um, you're a hemophilia mom. You've worked your, for the majority, like a huge chunk of your career in hemophilia organizations. So you have such a wonderful perspective. And I guess to like start it off, I just wanted to ask like what, what does this day mean to you, this Awareness Day, Rare Disease Day? What does it mean to you? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, I'll first start by saying that I actually had a life before rare disease and hemophilia. I was actually, um, you know, a technical person, and I was really into knowledge management and, um, you know, how do we actually take the stuff that we learn and figure out how to share it with other people. So that's actually been pretty helpful. And, I, and I'm tying that in because yeah. of Rare Disease Day. And there are so yeah. many people in the world with rare diseases, something like 7,000 different rare diseases, 30 million people in the United States, 
you know, estimated 350 million people globally. That's a lot of people. Um, and all of those people yeah. have something in common. And it's they have a rare disease. Some may only have five people diagnosed. Others could have 20,000 people diagnosed. But on this day, we all come together in this really cool unified way. And we are showing strength in numbers. We're showing support for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, we're learning about mm-hmm. each other and, you know, learning about how we can actually help each other. So it's just a really cool day. You have a long history, Brendan, in policy, in advocacy, in grassroots advocacy. Uh, you mentioned something that's really lovely about being, you know, Rare Disease Day strength in numbers. From a policy and advocacy perspective, why is it important for us to have strength in numbers and to kind of group together and work together towards common goals? You know, I think that um, sometimes strength in numbers is a fallacy. I think people think there have to be a lot of me, a lot of people like me, or I can't Mm. get anything done. And I think one of the things that I learned by being in the bleeding disorders community is, you know, even though we have like 20,000 people with hemophilia and, you know, tons more with other rare bleeding disorders, um, it still seems kind of small. But one person Mm. who has a great story can really make a difference. And I think that's the piece that we have to to learn how to connect with each other on is the storytelling. Um, And so I think that's where we all can can do more. Many of our listeners are new parents with uh, children that have hemophilia or von Willebrand's disease or other rare bleeding disorders. And I know your kids are grown, but I wondered if you would share for us, like, what would it what it was like for you as a young parent? What was that like? And what was your experience? Well, like many bleeding disorders families, m- many rare disease families, um, I didn't really know that it was a possibility to have a child with a rare disorder. And so when it happened, you know, you can imagine we were blown away. And, you know, yeah. I, I tried to do all the things that you should do, you know, like reach out to my local organization, do some research, read. And what I found was during that time, so my oldest is 26. During that time, it was sort of at the height of the HIV crisis um, and sort of connecting the dots between the tainted blood supply and all of these people with hemophilia mm-hmm. getting Um, HIV. And so that's what it was all about. So it was an incredibly scary time for a new mom uh, and dad um, in regards to this and not really understanding how um, HIV uh, happened. It wasn't something that was on my radar um, 26 years ago when I I had a, a newborn. But the thing that was really interesting was he actually had to have three blood transfusions when he was just days old because he bled from his um, circumcision. And so, you know, think about, you know, the fear of thinking, what about that that blood that was donated to my child? Is that is he gonna have yes. HIV now? So so there was there was a, it was a really scary time. And mm-hmm. you know, reaching out to my chapter, they just really didn't have much going on for you know new families. It was really focused on taking care of rightfully so at the time, people who had HIV. And all of the advocacy efforts seemed to be centered around that. Things definitely got better over the next, you know, three to five years. Um, But I think our hemophilia treatment center was really great, really helpful for us. And they actually had like a, a new families orientation session. And, you know, it was probably one of the most valuable meetings I've ever been to because they actually had a person who had recently graduated from college and um, he, you know, because all we, we heard was, was you know, the doom, the, the scary stuff. But here was this young man. He brought his fiance. So he was, he, he had made it to 22. He had a college education. He had a girlfriend mm. slash fiance. That was so powerful to us because we were just thinking about the next couple of weeks at a time. We, we couldn't, e- we wouldn't even let ourselves imagine what the future would look like. So that was so empowering for us. And it really completely changed the trajectory of how we raised our children. So we didn't raise them as having a bleeding disorder. 
we raised them as people who had this thing that they had to deal with, but they were going to have a, a vibrant, thriving life, and we had to prepare them for that. So, you know, we really focused on making sure that, you know, we, we did all the other stuff in addition to the bleeding disorders work. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Looking back, what was something that you wish you would have known? You know, I think for me, it was how strong a mother has to be, you know? Mm. Um, I'm, you know, we think about all of the, the things that you hear about, like, oh, I'm going to have to stay up really late. I'm not going to get a lot of sleep. Uh, I'm going to have to deal with some stuff. Uh, I'm not going to get to have the, all this freedom that I had before, right? Those are the things that you teach new mothers. But but what I discovered was how strong I'd have to be. And I remember, you know, I had to go home without my child um, because he had to stay in the hospital a little longer. And one of the things that I look back on was, you know, I was home and I was devastated. I, I didn't know, you know, he was like maybe three days old. I had no idea how I was going to get through this. And, mm. you know, it was the tough love. My husband sat me down and said, you don't have a choice. You're his mother and you're going to have to fight for him and take care of him and you're going to have to deal with it. And, and we, you know, we got this. And so I think that is, you know, the strength of the family, the strength of community and the importance mm-hmm. of advocacy. That's what I wished yeah. I would have known. How has your, you know, experience, your personal, very raw experience helped you in your job. You have you have a you have a national job. Um, you can t- talk about it a little bit. Um, some of the work that you do for the uh, National Hemophilia Foundation. And I know you work with so many other groups and rare disease groups. How has your past helped your work? Well, I think that you know we we sort of in the bleeding disorders community. I think we sort of get our blinders on and we think about mm. you know it's all about bleeding disorders. And one of the things that has been really um, great for me was I started to get more involved in gene therapy and, you know, trying to figure out ways to increase awareness and how to educate Mm. the community on gene therapy, because, you know, gene therapy isn't like a different brand of factor. You can't just stop taking it, right? It's a huge decision. There are so yes. many, so many unknowns, risks associated with it that we don't even have our heads around. So, you know, we had to ensure that we we actually educated people so that they could ask questions of their providers mm. and really connect and understand. The piece about the rare disease disease community is there are actually other gene therapies that had that have already been approved. So what can we mm. learn from those communities? How they rolled out the information you know, kind of what the experience has been. So it it really made me realize we can't we can't operate in a vacuum on this particular deal. We actually have mm. to connect with others. The other thing too is how do people get information? They Google, mm. right? So yeah. I think it's really important for people when they Google gene therapy to get consistent messaging. And that was something else that I was really passionate about because I knew my community was going to be Googling gene therapy. And while I think NHF and HFA have great materials, people are going to look beyond that, right? And if I think back to being a new mom, when I started doing research, that's what popped up for me, HIV, right? So, you know, we want to make sure that people are getting, you know, unbiased factual information. And I think that's what the national organizations provide to the community. Um, Mm -hmm. But we have a responsibility to other rare diseases to ensure that we're talking the same language, helping people understand the different types of gene therapy, you know, gene editing, et cetera. And how how can we share that information? You know, that's another thing too. You know, if we are you know, the bleeding source community, we're very blessed, I think, in having great sponsors and funders that have, have mm-hmm. helped us provide an opportunity where we can actually educate people. What can we do to give back? You know, how can we share the information, the, the education that we have? How can we share that with others? And, 
you know, it sort of goes back to when I talked about my knowledge management career and how important sharing mm-hmm. information is. And it's it's sort of full circle for me because I think that, you know, a lot of people, and I see it, I see it across the board. It isn't just bleeding disorders, but we tend to hold on to information thinking that it's mm-hmm. going to be more valuable if we don't share it. Um, and in reality, you know, we have a responsibility to share information mm-hmm. with others and to educate others. And so those mm-hmm. are just some things that I'm really passionate about and, and really, really happy that I get to do that kind of stuff with my career. I'm going rogue with this question. Uh, so you didn't prepare for it. So you're going to be mad at me. But from your perspective and your history, your long history in this, tell me a little bit about why a story is so powerful. How can a story, a personal story, even if you know somebody doesn't think it's that earth shattering, how can it be used and uh, why is it important to share? Well, you know, I think storytelling, if it's done well, gets attention. And um, I think it draws people in. And I saw it so many times in advocacy work whether it be at the federal or state level, you know, I would be in a, in a, you know, a meeting at, you know, at, at some state capital and a family was telling their story and you would just see light bulbs literally uh, go off where um, it might've been something like, oh my gosh, I know someone who has VWD or wow. So hold on a minute. I'm going to run And, you know, for example, it could have been a legislator who was on, you know, a finance committee. Let me run and talk to the committee chair. We need to make sure this program gets funded. Uh, You know, and it was just by the power of of those stories. And Hmm. I think the other piece, too, that's really cool is, um, at least in the bleeding disorders community, we we are good storytellers and... um, but we're also good demonstrators, too. So, you know, seeing like all the little kids actually doing infusions, you know, in a legislator's office. I remember I was at a, a particular state capitol and one of the kids had a bleed and he was literally in the rotunda and his mom was doing an infusion. And he was like maybe seven years old or something. And so I said, would you mind if I recorded this? And she said, sure. So I recorded it and we shared it with um, you know, some of the legislators later in the day. And they're like, oh my God, he did that downstairs. And I said, yeah, he did. This is what our community has to deal with. We have to be ready to go no matter where we are when there's a bleed. And so, mm. you know, the demonstration, the storytelling, it's connecting the dots. Um, you know, I think you know, looking back, I think storytelling and advocacy work, that is the legacy of the bleeding disorders community. I really feel strongly about that. And I think that's what we can teach other rare disease organizations about. I love that. How are you going to celebrate Rare Disease Day? You know, I will be working. and <laughs> I, For the betterment of our community, I might absolutely. add. <laughs> And actually, you know what, what I will actually be doing for a chunk of my time is getting ready for Washington Days. So I'm so glad you brought it up. (laughs) Yes. So um, Washington Days is, you know, it's going to be March 1st and 2nd. That's when we're going to be doing our work. And so Monday is all about reaching out to my team, you know, that that I'll have. Um, We're doing it virtually this year. So Um, And I think we're probably going to be doing some, you know, virtual advocacy for quite some time, you know, based on, you know, uh, current events. Uh, It's just not safe to be at the Capitol um, like it was in the past. And so um, Mm -hmm. I think this is something that we're going to all be doing more of. But the good news is, is more people than ever actually can do the work um, because it is virtual. So, you know, a single mom um, who couldn't get off work um, for for three or four days now has the opportunity to connect with her policymakers. So uh, I'm really excited about that. So to close this out, just because we have you here, tell us a little bit about what you're working on for the Bleeding Disorder Conference, BDC. I know um, in the education department, you guys have got good thinkers on. So tell us what we can expect. Well, first of all, um, we are just beyond 
excited because we actually get to get our hands on people again in person. I know. So, <laughs> number one, you know, we're so excited about the opportunity to, to be in person. And we're going to yeah. be in Houston in August. I know it's hot, people, but we have AC in Texas. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Um, but, you know, we've got some fantastic educational sessions planned, you know, like we always do. But, you know, let me just talk a little bit about the future therapy sessions. So, yes, one of the things that we're sort of thinking and, and sort of focused more on is it isn't just about gene therapy. We have some pretty amazing therapies that are in the pipeline. It isn't just about gene therapy, right? So we really need to start talking and educating people about all of them. So we're sort of moving to more of a future therapies mindset. So, you know, some sessions that we have planned are we have our advancements and treatment session. And historically, it's been really focused on hemophilia, but we're sort of expanding it this year. So we're going to talk more about other bleeding disorders like VWD, RARES, what, you know, what's in the What's in the pipeline for those um, those bleeding disorders? Another one that we're going to do is, it's, it's interesting to me, we've been talking about gene therapy for three or four years now. We've been working and doing a lot of education. People still don't get it. Um, and that's something the providers have, have discussed with me um, new, you know, on numerous occasions. People huh. just don't understand gene therapy. Well, I wonder why. It's pretty complex science, you know. right. But, you know, I think we have to keep pushing out the basic gene therapy stuff. And so that we're going to have a really good session on the basics of gene therapy that's really geared towards a consumer audience. So we're not hmm. going to put up all the crazy charts and graphs. We're just going to help make sure people, when they leave, they actually understand right. what it is. Um, another one that we're doing that is going to be a little wild, I can't wait though, is the, ethic, the ethics of gene therapy. Oh. You know, the ethical considerations. So all of those things that we have to start unpacking in preparation for having a gene therapy um, on the market and bleeding disorders, right? Um, and then finally, we've done this session the last couple of years. Um, we did it once in person and then we've done it virtually. And it's so popular and people love it. It's candid conversations. And oh. so um, this last year... I sort of flipped the table and thought, let's figure out how we can, you know, change this up a little bit. Um, and so what we did last year was we actually had a person who had had gene therapy in a clinical trial. He actually interviewed three providers. What do the providers think about gene therapy? And so they had a yeah. pretty, it was a pretty candid discussion, candid conversations, a ha-ha, but it was really a pretty <laughs> candid conversation about you know, what sort of keeps them up at night? What are they concerned about? Right. And so we're going to do that one again, and it's going to be in person, <gasps> and I'm really excited about it. Oh, that sounds fantastic. If you have not registered, uh, the registration link will be in the program notes. It's a hybrid model this year. Is that right, Brendan? So you can attend virtually and you can attend in person? Yes. Not all of our sessions will be virtual, but we're trying to ensure that the ones that are, you know, really meaty uh, will be. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy Rare Disease Day to you and your family. You. Friend, it was so good to see you. Thank you. Happy Rare Disease Day to everyone. It's a, it's a magical day. Thank you, Brendan, for your time and for chatting with us here on the Bloodstream Podcast. I miss you, Brendan. I look forward to seeing you again. It's been a very long time. Uh, coming up next, we have our Let's Talk segment led by film cinematographer and segment host Josh Bragg, who talks about, as we said earlier, finding joy. Let's Talk is a partnership between Bloodstream Media and Sanofi and aims to create an environment where we can have open, honest conversations about mental health in the bleeding disorders community. For people living with or caring for someone with a bleeding disorder, the impact on mental health is largely invisible and not often discussed. Let's Talk shares tips on how to care for your or someone you love's mental health and strives to eliminate the stigma associated with this discussion within the bleeding disorders community. One of the people contributing to that in an ongoing and impressive way is none other than Josh Bragg, and he's back with the latest installment of Let's Talk right now. Hi, I'm recording from my office today, which if you're watching the video version of this, you can see is a massive collection of horror movies, books, and memorabilia. 
And that's because today I want to talk to you about joy and how finding that joy sometimes can lead to making people angry. Let's talk. It all started 20 years ago in a dark movie theater. I was sitting alone amongst a sea of strangers, nervous with anticipation to witness a movie deemed to be so scary most people to this day still won't even watch it. It was the American adaptation of the Japanese horror sensation The Ring. This movie shook me to my core and caused quite a flurry among teens and grown-ups alike, but where most kids left the theater afraid to be alone, afraid to go to sleep, afraid to use their VCRs, I went home in love. Not in a literal sense. I had a long way to go when it came to talking to girls, but in love with Samara, the fictional character from the movie. The ghost who climbs out of an old well, dripping wet, and then comes through the TV screen to kill you. I loved her. And that's exactly what the director wanted. What I discovered that day was that ghosts aren't scary. No, and in fact, they're just these fractured, wandering spirits looking for closure. And the true horror is what happened to them and who's responsible for that. See, in many horror stories, it's the truth about humanity that's most terrifying. And the creatures and the ghosts, well, they just need a little bit of love. From there, I discovered Stephen King books and M. Night Shyamalan and rushed to the movie theater anytime a new horror movie came out. Amongst all the things that brought me joy in life, nothing quite did it like horror. And I'm still that way today. This journey has led me to writing my own scary stories, to hosting a horror podcast, and most recently a TikTok account that has over a quarter of a million people following it. And with that attention, with that following, comes some unexpected behavior from others online. I recently reviewed the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie on Netflix, and one specific phrase sets somebody off. If you're someone looking for a brilliant story out of a chainsaw killer movie, well, maybe look elsewhere. I had great things to say about the cinematography, the action sequences, and the character design, and said that despite a less than stellar script, these elements made the movie enjoyable for me. A lot of people in the comments of this video agreed, but then there was that one person who was just livid. They said, you are the reason no one respects the horror genre. Me. Just me. Because I found joy in a movie that wasn't perfect, I was the problem. In that moment, I felt a spark of fury start to charge up inside of me. How dare somebody tell me that I'm the problem with my favorite genre? Words started to form in my head like an unsheathing of verbal steel, gripped with two hands, raising above my head, ready to crack down on the skull of injustice. I had to defend myself, my right to love something despite its blatant flaws. I mean, if we're getting pretentious about it, Alexander Pope famously wrote to Error is Human. We are, by nature, flawed beings, and so, therefore, is everything we make and do. To not allow oneself to find joy in a less-than-perfect film is to deny the very nature of our being. Okay, let's pump the brakes here. What on earth does any of this have to do with a mental health segment on a podcast for people affected by bleeding disorders? Well, I mean, everything. I'm not artistic at all. However, I took my happy skippy ass to Michael's and a couple other places, and I got the materials. If you've been here before, you probably recognize Bobby from our Let's Talk mental health documentary. And one Saturday, I just got up and made, did a couple paintings. I like shit to be correct, excuse my French. You know, I'm, I'm an administrator. That's what I do, you know, professionally. <laughs> Stuff's gotta be right. And the paint, I didn't have to worry about that when painting. I have different sized canvases. But I'm not on having to produce something with it. That whatever comes out of it is mine. I'm good with it. Different folks looked at the pictures from different angles or turned it. They all got something different from it. Then I started uh, photography. Yes, I went to the uh, pawn shop and bought a camera for it from the pawn shop. Yes, I did. The photography, you know, some of the stuff I take the picture, you know, then the whole process, get it onto my laptop to figure out how to then print it so I can then paint it differently. And it's a, it, it's not an on thing, and it's, it lets me express myself in a different way. When you look at something, you are the only person for all of time to see that thing in its current form from that exact point ever. 
Your experience as a human being is so incredibly singular. So we find ways of sharing that experience with others. We tell stories, we make movies, we create art. Bobby takes a photo and then interprets that photo into a printable format and then paints that image into a painting that his friends then all look at in various different ways. The artist and the observer taking their own singular experiences and merging them together to create something completely different. Bobby doesn't feel the need to be on when he's creating his art because he's not doing it for anyone other than himself. He's simply existing in the joy of creation, of self-expression, and the incredibly challenging art form of being oneself. So what happened to that guy on TikTok, that angry commenter? Well, (laughs) I couldn't help myself. I tore into him a little bit. I was sarcastic and certainly defensive, but I at least kept the conversation about my right to find joy in life wherever I want to find it. A few of my mutuals said I decimated him, and my wife and I had a little bit of a laugh over it. We always do when the trolls come out to attack. But to be completely honest, I kind of felt worse afterwards. I wasn't mean, I didn't call this person names, and I don't have regrets about anything I said because I chose my words carefully and I spoke from my heart with the goal of really saying, like, hey, stranger, don't be mean to people. But in the days that followed, I found myself thinking often about this person and wondering over and over why this person woke up that morning and chose anger over joy. Why did this person, when faced with a differing opinion, choose to lash out and say something spiteful? I had never met this person before. There was no long-lasting grudge against me because I bullied him in high school or killed their mother in a car accident or or whatever the cookie-cutter Hollywood movie version would be. No, we were complete strangers. And that's exactly it. Strangers. I don't know anything about this person. I don't know what happened in their life leading up to this moment. I don't know what hardships they're facing or how their parents raised them or even what they're looking to get out of a Texas Chainsaw movie. But if I had to make an educated guess about this person, I would say that it's likely that they struggle to find joy in life. And the reason I say that is because I felt this way for a large chunk of the past few years and have only recently found my way back through therapy. The path to finding joy is different for everyone, and I'm not a professional, so I can only tell you about my personal experience, but what helped me most was identifying and facing my barriers. I struggled with expressing myself. I had fears of being judged for my choices about how I wanted to dress. I had fears about smiling too much, about the size of my current body, about appearing too flamboyant. I had built up these walls to protect myself, but once they were all up, I realized no one could even see me. I couldn't even see me. In trying to protect myself, I ended up packing away every part of my personality until I was completely muted, stagnant, void of inspiration, and ultimately, my greatest nightmare, I was boring. So many things can get in the way of living. Sometimes it's purely mental, and sometimes it's linked to an injury or a disability, a disorder or a trauma. My work in therapy helped me break down my walls bit by bit. Some of them were easy, and some, like the walls I put up around emotion and dealing with trauma, were really scary and challenging to tear down. On the other side of these walls was the person I so desperately wanted to be, but he wasn't standing tall and ready to strut. He was weak and afraid and in need of nurturing. I think the reason I reacted so strongly to that one little meaningless comment on TikTok was because I have worked so hard this past year to make progress with myself, to bring out the true me, and to find the joy in life. And I'm proud of the work that I do, and I continue to do each day to keep myself growing in the right direction. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. And that Texas Chainsaw movie especially isn't. But that doesn't mean I can't enjoy it. And life the way that feels right for me. Thank you, Bobby. And thank you, Amy and Patrick, for giving me the space to talk about mental health. Talking can be so healing. If you want access to some great mental health resources or you want to check out the documentary on your own, head to letstalkmh.org and click resources. And I'll see you next time.
If you or someone you know has experienced feelings that have impacted your mental health, talk to your healthcare provider and find educational resources at letstalkmh.com. Thank you, Sanofi, for making Let's Talk possible. And Josh, thank you. He will be back next month for another Let's Talk segment, the final in season one. And we appreciate everything you've done on season one of the Let's Talk segment, Josh. Thank you. And thank you to Brendan Hayes for being today's interview guest, chatting with us about Rare Disease Day, the caregiver experience, and a whole lot more. Amy Board, as we wrap up this episode, what can listeners look forward to on the next couple? Well, you know what month it is next month. It is February. Oh, next month it is March. It's March. You know Mm -hmm. what that means? Sure do. End of Q1. No, no, it is not the end of Q1. Think about it. What does March mean? Well, we're, you found we're some joy in that response. So, uh-uh. oh, bleeding we're disorders big. awareness month. We're bleeding disorders bleeding awareness, disorders awareness month. month. Good grief! It's bleeding I disorders aware month, and that means the bloodstream is going to be literally off the hook. We're going to go nuts. <laughs> well, you know, you say that, but I also will do a quick, pl- and it's true. We have a lot to announce. We're going to have different people coming through. It's a, There actually is a lot that you're going to uh, get from us next month. <laughs> but last year, we produced episodes on the daily throughout Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. So if, and many of those are, are evergreen episodes. You know, there's stories from different pockets of the community, spotlights on different areas. So if you are kind of craving some more content you got, or you got a road trip coming up, oh, by the way, you know, Natalie has now started listening to our, she, she doesn't listen to us, but she has started listening to the Bloodstream <laughs> podcast because in car rides, my voice <gasps> calms Vivian down. <gasps> so she's like, I got a call from her. I was out with Russell like whenever, uh, a week ago or so. And she was like, yeah. And she's in the car going somewhere with Vivian. I was like, I just wanted to call you to let you know, um, the podcast is really good. It's going really well. Like you and Amy are crushing it. Um, I'm listening to them all. And she had mentioned she was listening to them, but- Opinion, what if it's my voice that is calming her down? Well, she Just specifically saying. cited my voice. So if it she was your know. voice. She doesn't know. I'm just going to say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Natalie, if you're listening to this, I need you to film when Amy's talking, <laughs> yeah. how Vivian responds. Yes. And when I'm talking. And just yes. make sure you, you know, get it right, Natalie. Get it right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So anyway, I have no idea where I was, but I do know that pretty much with that, that is all for this episode. Reminder to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and share this episode with family, friends, and colleagues. And join us again next month during the end of Q1 of Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. Episodes will go live on March 11th and March 25th. Hey, do you have a bleeding disorders or health topic you'd like to hear us discuss a little bit more? Or is there an expert or a guest that you're dying to hear from? Want to inquire about storytelling or casting opportunities for Bloodstream's podcast or our films? Well, email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or connect with us on social media. You'll find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, or you can follow myself or Patrick on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And of course, LinkedIn. Everybody loves LinkedIn. We love it. <laughs> love it. I'm your, I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I'm that other host, Amy Board. <laughs> and until next time, message Amy on LinkedIn. Take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs>